Molly Wood, author of CNET's Buzz Report. And I'm Tom Merritt, author of CNET's The Real Deal. Welcome to CNET Buzz Out Loud, the podcast of Indeterminate Length. We have a special treat for you today coming up in just a few seconds. Yeah, it's really Indeterminate Length today. <laughs> Even we have actually no idea how long it's going to take. But I don't think it will be taunting. Um, but we want to start off, of course, with some of the fabulous emails that we have gotten. Tom, I think this one is your favorite. You should take it. Oh, from, is this the from, one? From Joe in from, Boston. From Joe. Joe sent a lot of things. Uh, we <laughs> don't have time to comment on them all. One is, would the people of Taiwan be happier if Google Maps named their island the Rebel Outpost of Taiwan? Which is awesome. Which I think a lot of them might. I'd be happy might about be that. be happier. Mm-hmm. Uh, he also said that he is glad to have us back together, meaning Molly and me. <laughs> uh, you're great individually, he says, but even better together like chocolate and peanut butter. Oops, don't want to forget Veronica. Chocolate, peanut butter, and frosting. Aww, Veronica, you're frosting. Well, if you could be any flavor of frosting, Veronica, what would you be? (laughs) I'd actually be chocolate. Yeah. Well, yeah. So So uh, chocolate Chocolate and double chocolate. Who's going to argue with that? With chocolate frosting? It's a great combination. I'm hungry. (laughs) Um, Greg writes in to say that apparently, according to the uh, iPod Subway Maps site, iPodSubwayMaps.com, the um, Washington, D.C. Transit Authority actually did grant a free license for uh, this blogger to continue to distribute their maps and that Boston transit officials also say they have no problem. So apparently those those two cities are not as crunched for cash, perhaps, as New York and <laughs> San Francisco. I think Washington is no, you know, I mean, they're run by the federal government, so they're not flowing in money, but come on. Yeah, come on. Even Washington can allow it? But yeah, Even you know the what? most litigious city... On Earth, there you go. And basically, it? I think the transit authority position in this case is inexcusable, and I'm glad that you all recognize it. All right, thank you, Greg. Thank you, Greg. Uh, and finally, an excellent phone call on the subject of our reunion, post vacation reunion, and Google. Hey, Tom and Molly, this is Ken Walker from scenic Newark, New Jersey, and uh, just wanted to say I've really been enjoying your show, and uh, just wanted to say thanks to Molly for coming back and making it funny again. Anyway, I uh, just wanted to actually get your thoughts on the idea of a collaboration between Sun and Google. Are we going to see a Microsoft Office killer from Google over HTTP? Hmm. Want to get your thoughts on that. Hope all is well. Talk to you soon. He's, he's right, of course. Of course. Of course. It is, is funnier with Molly here. Oh, oh, I thought you meant about the Google thing. <laughs> no, I mean, thank you. You made me blush. And that was mean. Uh, but <laughs> as to your questions about Google, we have uh, a man, a guest who may, in fact, be able to help you answer some of those. We have interviewed John Battelle, who currently runs Search Blog. You may have heard of him as um, a co-founder of the Industry Standard, a former writer for Wired, a longtime technology journalist who has written a book on search called The Search, How Google and Its Rivals Rewrote the Rules of Business and Transformed Our Culture. And it's sort of all about the history of Google and where search is going. And he has some fascinating ideas about the tracks that we leave on the web and whether people are going to start charging for those tracks or making money off them. So without further ado, Tom and Molly talk to John Battelle. Um, so John Battelle, thanks so much for being with us. I have to ask you right off the bat, um, I'm sure you know about the Google CNET scandal. Uh, <laughs> I sure do. As a matter of fact, Who Eleanor are- used to work at the Standard. Oh, I see. Uh, so does that mean you're on our side? <laughs> oh, yeah, I don't think that that was well handled by Google. Um, and I wouldn't say that necessarily, though I don't have this direct from, you know, from their 
from the horse's mouth. I'm not sure that the PR folks were pleased to be put in that position. I can imagine. I, well, I understand that the free the blackout has ended, actually. So, so this was an emotional reaction. It sounds like it certainly, you know, is a plausible reason for it. Well, um, but I don't have any insight as sure. to what it was. Yeah, no. <laughs> I know. I bring it up mostly because I um, was looking through your book, and you talk a lot about how the kind of this real time history of post web culture you call it can be exploited basically in all these different ways. And mm-hmm. so I was um, wondering, just using that as a lead in, what do you think of this idea of kind of search privacy? Well, I think the key thing here is that the broader uh, set of, of folks who, who, you know, who search, and this would not be um, you and me, but rather, you know, the, the, you know our, our, our parents, <laughs> people who don't obsess about technology generally. Yes. Um, Start to think a little bit about their, um, you know, about their uh, the, the exhaust of their interactions with the web. You know, the data that they create through using web services of all kinds as an asset. Mm-hmm. And I think once we get to the point where everyday consumers begin to understand that they are creating value simply by the interactions they're having with the web, um, they you know all sorts of possibilities open up. Right. Um, and I don't think we're quite there yet. It's still a very new idea that, that, you know, for example, you have a search history, much less that you have a, a history of everything you've ever done on the web. And I think it's going to take a number of years before that becomes kind of normal to think of having a record for everything that um, that you've done. Right. Um, but once it does, I think that it opens up a lot of doors and makes a lot of things possible in terms of commerce uh, and, uh, and control. Um, in the meantime, there's going to be a lot of concerns about privacy as we, as we as a society start to understand all the potential abuses of this information. Right, absolutely. What are some of the examples of, of things that might come out of that? Well, I mean, the, the simple ones, the ones that are in the book, you know, the ones that I think have the highest impact uh, with regard to search. Um, one of them is, you know, simply, and I'm sure you've seen this going around the web, you know, people freak out when they put their phone number into Google and get a map of their house. Yes. Um, and what's really happening there, of course, is that Google and Yahoo and others are pulling together um, two or three disparate bits of information that are publicly available. Mm-hmm. And through simply pulling those in- bits of information together, uh, drawing a conclusion, so to speak, which is terrifying to a lot of people. Right. So it's somewhat the dramatic effect of it rather than the fact the information was already available. Well, I could look it up at the phone. Exactly. This is what I argue in my, uh, in my book, that we are sort of going through a new kind of public privacy uh, debate where the principles we hold dear are being tested. We hold dear the idea that, you know, public information is public, but it's never really been truly public. Um, it's sort of moldering away in, a, in the white pages or in a county clerk's office somewhere. Um, but once it gets indexed, of course, it becomes very easily retrievable. And then, of course, people can start uh, pulling various threads of information together and creating a picture of you. Right. Um, of course, so, that's what CNET did with Eric Schmidt. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, and that kind of raises an interesting question, which could potentially prove a little bit ironic in light of this particular um, outcry, which is, I wonder if you think that Google has an end game around using those assets, basically, that, that sort of personal data asset. Oh, I have no doubt that... The very intelligent people at Google have figured out all sorts of ways that they can use that information. I think the only, 
gating issue is whether or not they have permission to do so. Right. Um, but uh, that there, you know, is a an extraordinary amount of information, uh, and b um, all sorts of ways to use it um, is indisputable. The question is, you know, c what can they do with it with the permission of the people that they interact with, um, and so <clears throat> that is, you know, where potential violations or you know breaches of trust could occur, and I think they are very aware of that. Yeah. Um, well, that again, another question that that raises is, is what can you tell us about your interactions with the company? Mm-hmm. I mean, Google almost mm-hmm. seems to be getting this reputation as sort of scary and world taking over mm-hmm. and the, the Google bot cartoon that's in the book. Right. What, what are your thoughts? You've described them of, as uh, the founders as aloof and dismissive of unsolicited advice. And I also describe them as having a good sense of humor and ready to listen. Yes. It just depends on sort and of super smart. Yeah. How you get them. Right. I mean, I, I think I had a, um, what could probably be described as a privileged relationship with them in that after, you know, a year and a half of, of insisting on, on, on access, I finally did get it. Right. Um, and I think they just got sick of me. Uh, but, uh, you know, I think I was in very, very rare company. There weren't many, I mean, they, they obviously before they shut down CNET, but, um, they spoke to lots and lots of journalists at, at prepared events and, 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 you know, one-on-ones that they did every so often with, with various uh, organizations. But the amount of access that they gave me was, I think, pretty uh, unique. And um, uh, it just sort of came from, uh, I think, a sense that they realized I was going to write this no matter what. Right. <laughs> and I spoke to so many people uh, outside the company. Uh, that I, I wanted to make sure they had an opportunity to answer what were you know a lot of criticisms of the company, mm-hmm. um, uh, but I don't think any more than really we've seen you know in the past when I covered Apple uh, in the late '80s when Apple was really on a tear um, with the Mac II, for example. That company was super paranoid, mm-hmm. um, very difficult to deal with, uh, uh, very protective of its secrets uh, and kind of odd when it came to working with the press. And that's things all, don't change. yeah, I was going to say, and that's all in the past, of course. Yeah, of course, that's all changed. <laughs> um, and and uh, that was true in the early 90s when I covered Microsoft, uh, for, when I was at Wired, and uh, it, they were very much the same way. Um, and so I think Google, you know, has you know, joined a long history of, of tech companies who feel like they've got a tiger by the tail and right. don't want to give away the secret sauce. The truth is, really, underneath it all, um, they don't have any idea what that sauce is. I mean, I think really the truth is that um, uh, they're terrified that someone might find out, you know, something that they don't know. Right. Um, and, you know, the, these people are, you know, they've got a, an extraordinarily fast-growing company, you know, by one measure the fastest in the history of business. Um, and, uh, you know, you sort of let a free radical into your company to wander around, um, you know, he, he might find out things that you don't know. Right, you never know. <laughs> and, and so I think that, you know, the control, that, that control issue is, is, was not new to me, and I think I, I tried to take something of a measured view of it. Um, and the other piece, of course, is that they were growing so fast that I really don't think that they had their arms around their own growth. Right, um, and maybe still you know, Zero to 5,000 employees in, what is it, seven years? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's... And still going. Yeah, and still now they're, mm-hmm. uh, I think, I, I saw Eric on Friday, when I, when I was asked to speak down there, which was kind of a surprise. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and, I mean, you know, I don't, 
Actually, I, I shouldn't say that. I, I, I didn't expect it. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Nor, nor I didn't like pencil it in or anything, you know. But when they asked, I, I was I was pleased because it gave me an opportunity to to uh, to kind of go back to, to the company some months after I had last visited it. And it's just you know the, the, the average age was you know average number of um, months of service was like six months. Mm-hmm. And most of the the folks who came told me that they read my book so they could understand the company they just joined. <laughs> I'm sure. Um, well, they have quarter page ads in the Scientific American just saying basically, "Hey, are you smart? Yeah, come, yeah, right. <laughs> come work here." Well, they really do have an an extremely lucrative business model that funds their um, their ability to just you know try new things right various um, adventures yeah and and that's you know and so and you can you know free wi-fi for san francisco or for the world for that matter why you know if it weren't for the fact that they had adwords that that simply would not be right. um, possible do so, they know where they're going with this because i get the impression that google itself as a search engine was fantastic then they figured out different ways to apply it through frugal and the news search engine now they're starting to venture out using some of this uh, 20% time of innovation to just launch new cool things. Right, but right, do right. they have an end game? Um, they, you and know, if so, I, is I, it AdWords? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure that they do have an end game per se. I'm sure that they've looked at various sub-markets, so to speak, like how do we want to deal with video? Right. How do we want to deal with um, uh, print matter? Right? How do we want to deal with, right. uh, with bandwidth and and, and Providing web applications, but what about NASA? Right. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of angles there, right? I mean, yeah. One of them is, you know, if you're growing as fast as they are, you need a place where you can expand and get a million square feet for a decent price. Yeah, yes. that was my take on the it. real you know, estate and, take. Yeah. yeah, you know, which I think is pretty powerful. And the second is there's a coolness factor and a geek factor, which uh, you know uh, right. I wouldn't underestimate either. So possibly first and foremost, they are just still sort of geeks at heart with a bunch of money, right? To well, make it all happen, right? And, and then lastly, I think that trying to do good, yeah, you know, and say you know well, we're gonna we're gonna try to solve some of these really hard problems that NASA is working on. We're gonna work with them on it. Um, I think it was kind of one of those things that they probably looked at and said there's there's just too much positive potential win here on all sorts of levels to not mm-hmm. do it. What can you so tell us about what you're doing now? You are at um, you're the program chair for the Web 2.0 conference, right? And what is what is Web 2.0 in a nutshell? Well, it's, <laughs> it it was just a silly idea. Um, <laughs> it, really, for me, uh, Web 2.0 represented the uh, sort of rebirth of the web after the bubble burst, um, and from the point of view of entrepreneurship and new, interesting, and innovative companies that have. Um, you know, grown up and started to succeed uh, after really 2001. Um, and and the characteristics of Web 2.0 are companies that are building on a platform that is um, open and scalable, which is basically the Internet itself. The Web itself is now a platform. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you can launch a business on the Web without having to raise $10 million of venture capital um, and selling your soul. Uh, but rather, with a you know a small band of friends and a good idea, you can you can you know hack something up and throw it out on the web and and see if it can work because the hosting bills are very low, mm-hmm. the cost of infrastructure such as um, you know open source software and so on is non-existent, um, and so you can basically start to create interesting ideas, see if they work, and if they do, you can feed them and then you can get them funded, um, and. There's an environment now uh, that we call Web 2.0 that I think is really, really um, interesting um, and uh, robust. 
and uh, you know you can literally plug in revenue streams once you have attention, uh, like AdSense or affiliate networks, um, and uh, they provide a level of uh, a level of income that allows you to sort of um, continue to innovate until you can figure out your own unique um, business model, uh, and and this is a uh, a recent development, you mm-hmm. know, and it's thanks in part to the major brands on the web that survived um, the transition from Web 1 to Web 2, like eBay, Amazon, Google, Yahoo. CNET. Uh, CNET, <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and these are all, uh, you know, companies that uh, learned great lessons mm-hmm. in the transition. Um, and there are a lot of characteristics. One of them is what we call um, the architecture of participation or harnessing collective intelligence, which is letting your customers build your business for you. Um, and, and we see that all over the place and, and, and you know, small companies uh, like Bloglines and, and large companies right. like Google. And so you'll be speaking at the conference on kind of innovations that, that make this stuff possible. So I know that I know the Web 2.0 conference is all sold out and all booked up. It is, unfortunately. Um, where can our listeners <laughs> kind of track what comes out of it? Is there... Well, I would just... I, I mean, would I'm just sure there's tra- yeah, I would track right? delicious tags for Web 2.0. I would track Technorati and, and Feedster, Blog Search, and mm-hmm. um, there, the, the podcasts will... There will probably be a lot of... Um, I don't want to say amateur that, that that has baggage, but you know a lot of semi-professional podcasting going on during the conference. I Great. can't. Cl- I don't know who will be doing it, but someone will be, I'm sure. And then there will be an official uh, uh, podcast of the conference that will be available sometime after the event as well. And Excellent. All of that will be linked to from the Web Two page. Excellent. Well, we are unfortunately out of time. Although it would be interesting to talk with you all day. <laughs> I, would, so. I would like to myself. <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, enjoy the conference. Thank you. Thanks so much. Bye. Take care. So once again, thank you so much to John Mattel. Really interesting conversation. Uh, read Search Blog for more information. We could have talked forever with him. We really could have spent a whole day talking about that. It's just fascinating. So if you guys have ideas of more questions you would want from him, email or call us. Yeah, and definitely um, check out his book at Amazon.com. Okay, we have a little bit of speculatory stuff out on the internet today about the Apple announcement that is coming up October 12th. Uh, There's a picture on Engadget that's extremely fuzzy (laughs) of what purports to be, and they disclaim it all over the place, a video iPod. Uh And I've seen this now mentioned several other places, but I'm not sure if it's like one leak is turning into many reports or if there are independent reports of this, but that seems to be the leading speculation is that it would be a video iPod. Yes, I frankly would be very surprised if it's not. So Yeah? Yeah, we'll see. I kind of would be too. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it it seems so obvious, and I think people really felt like it just, for whatever reason, it wasn't ready for the last announcement. I and remember, that's what I thought it was, I was going to, if it's not that, I was going to be disappointed. Yeah, and, and, I was. and indeed we were. So I mean, same goes this time, Steve-O. Yes, also I want to say that the uh, the Nano that I have in-house, totally scratched up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Talk to James, he's got some fixes. That is it. Another fabulous surprise coming for you on Friday. If you have more emails for us, of course, send them to buzz at cnet.com and um, call us a Tom. 1-800-616-CNET. Thank you very much. Adios. Bye.